You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. So Romans chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, these two verses come in this greater context of just the knowledge that we can receive of God. And so if you turn to the passage, you can read uh, kind of before and after and see some of the context of this. I am going to put up the verses today just because it's, it's just two verses. And it says this, and so this, let's read this as, as scripture. It says, because we can be known... Uh, excuse me, because what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So things that we can know about something about God is kind of just this big idea. Some of you might just be like, yeah, duh. But I I guess just take a step back and think, yeah, we can know something about God. It can be made, made plain to us because verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature. So these things, who he is, have been clearly seen because they are understood through what has been made. And then it says, so people are without excuse. And so I just thought, you know, we we have some of the windows open now because our screen is brighter. And I think what, who God is, is, is made known by what he has made. And it's made plain to us that we can know something. And so these months, as we study systematic theology, you might at some points feel overwhelmed that there's, there's too much to know and how can we ever know for sure anything? Well, this verse says pretty plainly that God has made his knowledge of himself plain to us because of what he has made. And that's pretty cool. Don't you think? Yeah, me too. Sweet. So let's pray. God, we do thank you. We worship you, the creator of all things. We, God, we honor you. God, we give you um, our, our attention, our hearts. God, open up our minds. Um, open up the knowledge that we can have of you. God, we thank you for um, making it known to us who you are and your ways. God, we love you and we praise you. And everybody screamed, amen. So I want to tell you a story. We have these meetings uh, every month. It's like the Mill Sunday School Think Tank is what we call it. It's a pretty sweet name. And we get together and we chat about theology uh, or we chat about whatever we're going to be talking about that month. So about um, the beginning of this month, we had a meeting and we were just going around talking about theology and this answering this question of like why study theology, which is the bigger topic of what we're talking about all this month and for the next nine months. Um, if you don't know that, we'll kind of refresh you and talk some more about that. But we were talking and this guy, Tim, and that's his wife, Rachel, they just got married. Like how many weeks ago? Like three, four? Anyways, they're, they're, they're really cool people. So Tim was just talking about how he studies theology and I know him as a theological thinker. He is on the uh, cover, by the way, of the, of the skillet. I, he just has this look like he's thinking about theology, doesn't he? He's just kind of staring off. So if you're wondering who that was and what he was thinking about, it's him thinking about theology. Um, <laughs> so anyways, I, Tim just said some things, and I won't take away his thunder because I'm going to ask Tim to come on up. So Tim, come, make your way up here. Tim, I asked Tim just to share. Yeah, Tim! So I, I'll grab a seat, and ju- I'll just let Tim, Tim share what, you're, what you want to share. Because it's, cause it's awesome, and it's genius. All right, well, I'm Tim. I've been around here for a couple of years, and um, we were just chatting, and Joe uh, just asked me to talk a little bit um, just about why I think theology is important and, and what it means for 
our daily lives. So um, I just had uh, a couple thoughts on it. But um, have you guys ever been to a fish fry? Do you know what they are? Is that a thing around here? Yeah, yeah no? Well, okay, so fish fries are really popular in St. Louis. That's where I come from. Um, and if you know anything about St. Louis, it's uh, primarily Catholic um, area. So uh, growing up, I grew up uh, actually Southern Baptist, um, but most of the people I grew up with were, were Catholic. Um, and so even at a very young age, um, although I didn't really notice at the time, um, but um, you can really see a difference in the way um, our faith is practiced among different denominations. And um, Southern Baptists kind of have their, tradi- their traditions and their rituals and the things that they do. Um, and the same with Catholics. And, you know, as a kid, we used to go to fish fries on Friday, and it was just the coolest thing ever. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, uh, a fish fry is done every Friday during the month of Lent um, because there's a, a tradition that, you know, you don't eat meat on Fridays if you're Catholic. And I didn't really know what that was all about because we didn't really do the whole Lent thing in the Southern Baptist Church. Um, it was just kind of this time leading up to Easter. But it was just the coolest thing ever because we just got to go run around church with our friends and just eat fish until you get sick. But it was so much fun, you know. And there were these strong memories associated with that. Um, and that's kind of what I was thinking about when, when we're thinking about theology because um, you it's just a normal part of our li- my life growing up that we did fish fries, but um, it actually stems from a theological perspective. Um, hundreds of years ago, a, a pope decided um, it would be a good idea for, for Catholics to abstain from, from meat during the month of Lent, and over the years that was relegated to just Fridays, and now there's this Catholic tradition of, of eating fish on Fridays, and um, that was just a, a real simple but kind of an int- interesting example of how a theological system has implications for our daily life. Um, and, for example, Southern Baptists, the, the tradition for them is um, we, don't, we don't drink or chew or hang out with girls that do. That was kind of the mantra, you know. Um, but that actually stems from, like, a theological system. Uh, there's the, kind of the stereotypes that Southern Baptists don't gamble, they don't dance, and and actually, a long time ago, that was true, but those, come, those ideas come from a theological system, and they have implications for, for our daily life. So those are just some few simple examples of how um, theology has affected my life um, growing up. But maybe here's, here's another, a little bit deeper example that maybe we can identify with a little bit more. Um, have you guys ever heard of uh, cessation or the idea of uh, cessation, a cessationist, what they believe? Does that sound familiar? Ring a bell? Joe's talked about it a few times in here. No? Yes? Okay. <laughs> well, a cessationist is uh, someone who believes basically that the Holy Spirit doesn't operate today the way that he did, say, around Pentecost and the time shortly after. Um, maybe a, a cessationist believes that um, the miraculous gifts, uh, healing, speaking in tongues, those kinds of things um, aren't necessarily f- for today, but they were, um, they did exist and the, the Holy Spirit did operate back then. So Southern Baptists traditionally were cessationists, um, although I, I think that's changing quite a bit now and um, a lot of Southern Baptists that I know don't necessarily believe that anymore, but 
Now, think about the implications of that. What, think about what we, what we believe, what we know about the Holy Spirit, what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit. Um, this stems from a theological system. So if you were a cessationist, that would dictate um, how you live. It, it would dictate the language of your prayer, the things that you say to the Lord, the way that you pray. If you don't necessarily believe that healings are for today, that's going to impact your view of God. Um, and that's going to impact... Um, your view of the world. Um, so that's maybe a little bit um, deeper way that, that a theological system um, has implications for your daily life. And I know it certainly does for mine. Um, I think every, every church, every pastor, every teacher speaks from a theological system, whether they recognize it or not. Um, and I, I think we have kind of a, a responsibility um, as believers um, to make sure that our, our pastors, our leaders are, are speaking from a sound theological system. And, and what's great is we have the freedom to do that. We, we can learn the scripture. We can press into it. Um, we, can, we can know what it says and, and know if our, our pastors and our, our leaders are leading us well. Um, one, um, my, my cousin's a, a pastor, he's a youth pastor, and, and he threw out a statistic that you guys have probably heard before if you've been around church. Um, it's, uh, the statistic is that 70% of, of young people um, are leaving the faith and leaving the church between eight, ages 18 and 23. And I don't know if that's actually true or not. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, but regardless of what it is, it, it is a significant number, I believe. And um, he said something that was really insightful. Um, he said the reason um, young people are leaving the faith is because they don't have um, any ownership in, in their faith and what they believe. They don't own it. Um, and, and so, you know, maybe that is, it's, our faith is perhaps in some ways handed down to us from a previous generation. It was their faith, and we kind of gleaned from them. We learned it from them, but maybe it's, it's never been our own. Um, it, just a thought, but, um, you know, I think there is some, some truth in that. And you know, I don't know what that means for us. What does that mean? Um, and it kind of got me thinking about this theology, this idea of why we study, why we, why we press into theology. And maybe part of that is, is to own our faith. Um, if, if theology really is understanding who God is and also understanding what God says about us, I think it's a pretty significant and important thing that, that we press into that. Um, did, you, did you? Oh, yeah. Wait, that quote. So yeah, I wanted to put this quote up here. Um, this is, uh, I think it has to do with kind of what we're talking about. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It's kind of meaty. Um, it says, the yearning to know what cannot be known, to comprehend the incomprehensible, to touch and taste the unapproachable, arises from the image of God in the nature of man. Deep calleth unto deep, and though polluted and landlocked, by the mighty disaster theologians call the fall, the soul senses its origin and longs to return to its source. Uh, that's by Tozer. It's from a book called uh, The Pursuit of God. And I think maybe this is something that, that hits on that. Um, maybe taking ownership of our faith is, um, is coming back to the source. Um, you know, the, the, God put in something in us uh, imprinted something in us um, that gives us a desire to know him. And I think that's a natural compulsion. And I think that's what, what Tozer 
um, is hitting on here. So my encouragement to you guys is to press into that. Press into the source. Um, go back to the source. Um, and maybe that's something that we need to ask God for is, is to create that desire in us. So I think that's it. Sweet. Thanks, Tim. Really cool. So, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you're new to the Mill Sunday School, uh, we have these little cards on your table. You can fill one out and bring it to the nice people as you leave, and they'll give you a gift. And uh, we'll keep you. We'll, I think we'll, all we do is send you one email saying, uh, here's some more information. Here's the mill on a Friday night, which the Mill Sunday School is co- connected with that. We are a part of that. Um, we do have a Facebook page now. Anybody like Facebook? I, I thought all you kids liked Facebook. No? Yes, you do. You're just embarrassed. So the Mill Sunday School has a Facebook page, and you can go there and check it out. We, we send links to the podcast. We have pictures. In fact, if you see a girl named Laurel walking around taking pictures, she's not just creeping. She's taking pictures uh, so you could tag yourself. And it's just it's something fun to do, and we'll see how that goes and, and as far as like communication and sending links and kinds of fun stuff like that. So we are on this series. If you look at the little bookmarks, I don't have one up here with me now, but the, it's a little brown and blue bookmark. We are talking about systematic theology for the next nine months. And so you might be asking yourself, if you haven't been here the the last couple weeks, what is systematic theology? Well, there it is. That's the system. Look at it. Just look at it. And, and take a second to, to take it in. There's nine topics. And so that's why I keep, you keep hearing this phrase that we're talking about systematic theology for the next nine months. Well, that's the order. So every month we will talk about a different one of these. So this month, September, we're, we're talking about introductions, prolegomena. That's the big fancy word. Next month in October... We're going to talk about theology, and then creation, and then anthropology, and the study of humanity, and then the study of Christ, and then uh, study of salvation. Then we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit the month after that. See, January, February, March, April, is it May, ecclesiology, uh, and then at the month after that, ecclesiology eschatology, the study of the end times. And so this system, this way of organizing things is systematic theology. And if you've been here for the last two weeks, you know that. And you're like, yeah, duh, that's what it is. Um, and, but, but if you've never seen it, now you have. And so when theologians follow this order of doing systematic theology, are doing theology, they are doing systematic theology. And the system is everywhere. If you look in your notes, that sentence is in your notes. It says, the system is everywhere. And I put it everywhere in quotations because is it everywhere? Well, no, it's not everywhere. It's just in a lot of places. If you're looking for it, you will see it. It's like these patterns that, that if, you, if, if you have any drop of nerd blood in you, you will, you will see the pattern of systematic theology and you will get excited. You're like, there it is. That's the pattern. And, and the pattern of prolegomena through eschatology, that's the pattern of systematic theology. So you'll get really excited when you see it. Just like um, anybody like the Where's Waldo pictures, picture books. Um, I have a few just to take a break from all the serious theological talk and get into this idea of like finding a pattern. So that's why we're doing this. If you're sitting there and you're kind of like barely awake and you're like, yeah, what did we talk about in theology? Some guy named Tim came and then we did some Where's Waldo and man, this, that was sweet. Um, yeah, but we're using it to just talk. Anyway, so it's just a second of fun. 
Anybody see him? Point to him if you see him. You see him? Well, somebody, if you already, I'm impressed. So you're looking for the pattern of a guy with blue pants, brown shoes, uh, red and white striped sweater, red and white striped hat, and some glasses and like a big long horse looking face. And some of you see him? Bottom left? There he is. Oh, there he is. Uh, One more. No, I think I have two more actually. Anybody see him? He's like, yeah. Oh, you guys, there he is right there. There's that wall. Here's the harder one. So there's lots of like towels. This is Waldo at the beach and it's like smaller. Ooh, anybody? Anybody see him? It's probably hard to see. You see him? Anybody? As soon as I point the arrow to him, you'll be like, oh yeah, that's him. See him? There, as soon as you see him. So, anyways... The order of, as soon as you have this order in your head, like the where's Waldo, as soon as you're like, okay, I'm looking for the guy with the blue pants and the red and white stripes and the glass. As soon as you have this pattern that you're looking for, sometimes you can get very good at seeing them. Some of you are just naturally talented at finding where's Waldo. And what I want to happen is this analogy with like, okay, seeing things in a systematic theological order. And, and so once you see it, once you see this order and kind of internalize it and know that, okay, doing systematic theology is doing things in this order. And like last week, if you were here, every table in here got to just write out a question, like any question they wanted to ask concerning Christianity. And we took all those cards in, we had about 30 of them, and we went through and all the questions we just placed into an order. And that order helps us as Christians to, to, to take something huge and something impossible and make it possible. Like we as Christians are trying to study all things theological, all things about God, and this system makes it easy. Is it the only way to study theology? No, it's not the only way. Is it the best way? Well, there's, there's strengths and there's weaknesses, um, but for whatever reason, it, it is the system that has kind of stood the test of time, and I think it's a really great way of studying theology. And so this order, doing the order of systematic theology, as soon as you get that, you will have just as much fun seeing it as when you see a Where's Waldo. So, you will see it in the bookmarks. So all your bookmarks on your tables, if you look at that, you would see the order because that's what we're doing, systematic theology. If you look at, let's say you go and you buy a book uh, called Systematic Theology. This one happens to be by, by Wayne Grudem. We talked about him last week. And you're looking for the order in this book. Guess what you would find? You would find the order. You'd, you'd see that he begins with uh, introductions and he talks about God and then creation and then humanity and then he ends with uh, eschatology, study of the end times. So if you're looking for this order, you will see it. And anytime anyone says they're doing systematic theology, they're following the order, those nine things in order. And if you're looking with like a, a magnifying glass saying, does this guy follow it exactly? Well, he may or may not find, follow it exactly, but you will see the order, you will see the bigness and you will see the, at least most of them in order if someone's doing systematic theology. And if someone changes the order, um, kind of like this guy changed, the, does anybody know Mark Driscoll? Some of you are probably Mark Driscoll fans, um, has a big church, and he wrote this book called Doctrine, What Christians Should Believe. And if you're looking for the order of systematic theology, you're going to find it in here. He does it, he starts off, 
He starts off with God, though. So he kind of skips prolegomena and just starts off with God and like what we know and believe about God. And from there, that's his prologon, that's his introduction. So if you're looking for the order to be exact, well, sometimes people, for whatever reason, like Mark Driscoll is a very uh, Calvinist, reformed, sovereignty of God, bigness of God kind of guy. That's one of his themes whenever you hear him speak. And so, of course, someone like that would begin with God. And it kind of skipped the introductions until later. So that's, I think, why he did it that way. And so speaking of John Calvin, anybody a John Calvin fan? And yes, like some people are nervous to raise their hand. It's like, that's like a whole other level of nerdiness if you're like, yeah, I'm a John Calvin fan. Um, but anyways, he wrote tons of this whole, if, you, if I had it, um, if you ever see it at a garage sale for really cheap, buy it for me. Um, but it's Calvin's Institutes. It's probably like this big. It's like an encyclopedia. Um, it, it would just be really fun to read someday. Um, and it would take a very, very long time. But he writes the Institutes of the Christian Religion. Basically, as the Protestant Reformation started, he said, let's, let's gather um, what we believe as Christians, um, Protestant Christians in, in about the 16, 1500s. And, and so he wrote the Institutes. And if you're looking for the pattern of systematic theology, you are going to find it. You're like, oh, wow, here he is talking about God and then what God has made. And then he ends the book with uh, the study of the church and then what the church is and then end times. And how cool is that? Um, if you're looking for it in one of my favorite theologians, uh, Thomas Aquinas, he wrote Summa Theologica, which I th- we'll come back to this idea. Um, he writes this, this million-word volume of, of all things theological. And if you're looking for the order, you will see it. And so it's like, so you're thinking to yourself, cool, so theologians doing this theology, you'll see the order. But if you, if you open up your eyes, your systematic theology eyes, you will see it in other places too. Like if you go to churches' statements of beliefs, like you can go to New Life Church's statement of belief, and you look at it for the pattern of systematic theology, you're going to see it. And we begin with God, who God is, and then out of that we talk about um, what he has made, and then it ends with eschatology. You see the, what we believe about the church in there. And so this order, this pattern is everywhere. Of course, using air quotations again, because it's not really everywhere. But if you're looking for it, you will get very excited when you see it. And so I have for you a discussion question. Um, on all of your tables is the Nicene Creed, which this, this version goes back to 381 AD. So this is the early church coming together and saying what they believe. You've probably seen the Nicene Creed before. As you read through it and think about it, you're like, oh, I've heard this before. I've heard this lingo before. Um, and so it's, it's a very, 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 very important creed for the Christian church, very early in the church, 381. And so the discussion question for you to do, so as tables, if your table's small, jump in with another table, is just the simple question, does the order, does the Nicene Creed follow the order of systematic theology. So maybe huddle around the page. You can underline and highlight and circle and scribble. But if you forget, there's the order. And so just the simple discussion question, does the Nicene Creed follow the order? Can you see the pattern? Will you get as excited as you do when you find Waldo and see the pattern? Ready, get set, go. All right, if your table kind of decided that it does follow the order, raise your hands. Like, yeah, it follows your... Sweet. Sweet. Awesome. 
So I think it does as well. Obviously, I gave it to you with this intention that you would find it, and hopefully some of you did. But to, it, if, you're, if you're looking for an exact pattern, like, um, like we, I want to see it in this exact order, all nine points, well, then you probably wouldn't have found it because it does begin um, with, with some sort of introduction. And, and this one just be, says, we believe in God. And so it's like, well, I guess, I, I guess in a way it begins with theology. Did anyone else find that or think about that at your table? <laughs> High fives? Yeah. Um, so that's what I love. It's like the, the nerdiness of Sunday school is just, I, I can't express my happiness with you guys. Um, so you're high-fiving each other over the Nicene Creed. That's awesome. Don't forget that moment. That's special. Um, so I've highlighted in blue all the things that I saw while reading the Nicene Creed. And so I thought, okay, well, it doesn't really have an introduction other than we believe, which I don't know if that's really much of an introduction, but it says we believe in God. And then it says who he is. Well, he's the father, the almighty. And then it says maker of heaven and earth. So it's like, okay, there's a piece and it's just a piece. It's just a line. It's just a half sentence about um, what he has created, but it says that he is the maker of heaven and earth, all that is seen and unseen. So he is the creator. And then I thought, well, did anyone, I, I don't know, maybe someone did like point out like, oh, this, it says this about humanity. Um, I, I didn't really see it in there. So I thought, well, the, the, it's, some theologians do say that anthropology is a subpoint of creation because we are a creation of God, um, just like everything else. Um, we do have the image of God, which we'll talk about later in the months to come and what that really means. But I thought, well, it's kind of missing. But then every single one of these points, uh, Christology through eschatology is is like just just jumps out of the page like the, the pattern of the systematic theology figuratively jumps off the page and I see it and so it talks a lot about Jesus and who he is and then it talks about uh it says this line for us and for our salvation and so it's like okay there there's the soteriology point and then uh the the, the third paragraph says we believe in the holy spirit the lord the giver of life who proceeds from the father and son with the father and son he is worshiped and glorified so that's pneumatology that's what we believe about the holy spirit and then ecclesiology the church it says um Let's see, we believe in the, in, in the one holy universal and apostolic church. And I changed the, you know what the word universal usually is, if you know your Greek? It's the word Catholic, and so many people get um, stumped up by that. And they're like, oh wait, the Roman Catholic church? I'm not a Catholic, I can't believe in this. And it's like, well, the word there is, is the intention behind it, I believe in 381, is, is this universal church, which I would say we are a part of, whether Protestants or Baptists or uh, Nazarenes or Catholics or uh, Episcopalians, whatever. We are part of this global universal church. So uh, we, we, I changed the word just to make it, I, I didn't change it. I, I got it off the internet like this. But um, anyways, so that's what we believe about the church. We believe that it's one, the church is holy, the church is universal, and it's apostolic, like coming from the teaching of the apostles. That's what we believe about the church. And then number uh, nine is ecclesiology. Very short line. It just says, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So that's this line about eschatology. So as we go through these nine months of systematic theology, we will, we will come to different understandings. Uh, we will open up and broaden our range of thoughts about each one of these topics. But we may, in a lot of ways, come back to this Nicene Creed. And, and although it's short and sweet, um, I think that's its strength. And we can say, okay, what do we believe about God? Well, we believe in one God, Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. It's like, well, what do we believe about Jesus? Well, 
Well, it is here in this creed, this awesome creed that we have from the early church that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, and one in being with the Father. And so we can go back to this creed as, as we carry on these nine months and talk about each um, topic individually. So we have been doing the first one. All of today, all of this week, we've been talking about prolegomena, introductions. And we have began with just this overview of what is systematic theology. And I think we began in a lot of ways with like this question of like, well, why study theology? And I think Tim um, added to that today. I'm just like, well, why study theology? So that was kind of our beginning point um, here at the Mill Sunday School of where to start. And so it's, okay, we've started with like why study theology? And we've, st- we've started with, okay, here's the system of doing systematic theology. But now it's almost like, okay, let's really begin. Where are we really going to begin this whole process of, of knowledge and, and focusing in on all things theological, whether it's beliefs that we believe about God or what he has made or who Jesus is or how salvation works? How are we going to focus in on knowledge like this picture does? Is that making anybody else sick when you look at it? It kind of makes you sick. I don't know why. It's like this weird like illusion, but we're literally focusing in on knowledge in this picture. And so we'll ask the question, where should we start? And that's a very good question because where you start says a lot about where you're going. Um, I wrote it down this way. Um, I I said, what could be the most foundational beginning point for starting a conversation to cover all theological beliefs of the Christian religion? And there's, there's, Probably, if so I thought of this like analogy or maybe this story format. Like if you met someone that had never heard of Jesus, and, and I've met people. I, I was uh, privileged to go on this mission trip to Tibet, and uh, this isn't my picture, but I just picked this picture off the internet because this is the quintessential uh, Tibetan uh, shepherd dude that lives out in the middle of like nowhere, nowhere land. Um, I think I've told this story before. It's kind of a, are you okay with gross stories? Are you almost done with your breakfast? Um, so I was in Tibet with my two friends. We decided to go uh, all over like Southeast Asia. Um, they both wanted to become Tibetan uh, missionaries. And one of them, uh, both of them did for, for short terms. In fact, one of them did. And then he was actually killed in a motorcycle accident and uh, died doing what he wanted to do. Anyways, going back, we, all three of us were on this bus from uh, Lhasa, Tibet, going back down to Nepal. It's like this five-day journey on this horrible bus that never ends. Um, anyways, we're in the middle of nowhere, and the bus stops um, and picks up a dude, picks up this dude, <laughs> or a dude that looks like this dude, quintessential Tibetan uh, shepherd dude, out in the middle of nowhere, like he was just kind of like waving at the bus. He paid some money, got on the bus, sat, sat next to me, because my other two friends were sitting together, and we just kind of looked at each other like, Hi. <laughs> and he said something, and I, I, I knew how to say hello. Tashi Delik is how you say hello in Tibet, in case you're ever in Tibet and need to say hello. So, so we just like looking at each other and like, okay, well, now we have nothing else in common, not a word. And so we're just looking at each other, and I, I was like, oh, I, I'll give him some candy. And so I reached in my pocket, I had these like peppermints, and I ate one, and I gave him one, he smiles, and he, he eats it. And then he returns the favor. And so he reaches into his grubby little pocket. And pulls out this string, like this long. And on this string are little cheese balls. (laughs) 
And he like tries to pull it off, but just quite can't. So he like puts it in his mouth and he like pulling off a cheese ball on the string and puts it in his hand and then gives it to me and smiles. And of course, if you're in a different country and you don't know the language and someone hands you some food, what do you do with it? You eat it. And so I ate it. And I just took it. I was like, mm, that's, that's good, man. And I just, everything in me wanted to just d- d- open the window and throw up out the bus. Um, but I didn't. I put it in my mouth. I chewed it. And I swallowed it. And I smiled. And what a great time. Anyways, why are we talking about that? Oh, yeah. So imagine you meet someone. Um, and, and it's always, in fact, someone asked the question last week, out of all the, the questions you can ask as a Christian, the question is asked, well, what about that person that lives in a deep, dark area of the world that has never heard the gospel of Jesus? They've never even drank a Coke. They've never seen a McDonald's. Like, what do you, um, and so, uh, the Coke and the McDonald's are jokes, but um, you, you, you meet someone that has never heard the gospel. Um, and so you, I'm just imagining this hypothetical situation where maybe you're a missionary in this part of the world. And let's say you, ha- say you have months to, to converse with, with someone who has never heard about Jesus or the Christian religion or the Bible. They've heard nothing of it. And so you, you are able to have months-long conversations with this person, probably via translator. Where do you begin? Let's say you have lots of thought about, okay, I have a week to prepare. We're going to have a conversation, me and this person who, have ne- who has never heard of Jesus before. Like, where do you begin? Where, where, like, if you're about to talk about all things theological, you could think about Sunday school and you're like, oh yeah, we learned systematic theology. Maybe I'll bring the system and just, and just go through the system with this guy with the months that I have in this conversation because he's never heard of anything about Christianity. And so you, you, let's say day one, hour one, what do you, like, where do you begin talking um, to this guy about all things that we believe about the Christian religion? Let's say this guy's, like, job is like, okay, I'm going to learn everything you have for me and then report back to the village or whatever, just kind of scenario. Like, you have months. But what, what does that first hour look like? And I imagine it could look like lots of things. If you're thinking in your head, maybe some of you would begin with Jesus. Anybody begin with Jesus? Like, okay, let me, let me tell you about uh, a man uh, who is God, who is sent by God to die on the cross for us. And you talk for an hour. Like your first hour with this guy is, okay, 2,000 years ago, this, there's Roman Empire, and you kind of go into random details about when he came. And, and the basic gist of the matter is that he was killed um, by the Roman Empire, but he was killed for our sins because he was God, and he was sent by God. And you're like, okay, so what do you think? And, the, and this guy looks back at you and says, well, which God sent Jesus? And you're like, oh, wait, I've just talked for an hour and just confused him because he thinks that just one of the gods um, in this uh, like a mini god kind of religion sent his son. And so you'd have to step back. And so uh, to re-ask the question, you, you would step back and maybe, okay, I need, before I talk about Jesus, maybe I need to talk about God. Does that make sense in your mind? Like this is kind of like a, a, like a philosophy. If, you, if you've taken any philosophy classes, this will come very natural to you just thinking about, okay, what can I jump back to that is actually more foundational than what I've already said? Like, and it's like, well, I actually need to step back and talk about this first. Or, oh, actually I need to step back and talk about this before that because 
because this hinges on that. And so what is the most, going back to the question, maybe I'll put it up there again and then go back. What could be the most foundational beginning point for starting a conversation to cover all theological beliefs of the Christian religion? And so we already said, oh, you're talking to this guy, you say Jesus, but then if the guy asks like, oh, well, what God are you talking about sent his son? It's like, well, actually, uh, the God that we believe in is the God of all. In fact, there's, there's only little g gods, and, and the, the big g God um, is the God of all things. He made all things. He's eternal. He's infinite. He's bigger than big. And then so the guy might ask you, well, how do you know about this God? Did you have a dream or a vision? And you could say, well, maybe I need to take a step back and say that our, our, this God does speak in dreams and visions. But a lot of what we know about the God that we believe in comes from the Bible. And so this guy's like, oh, okay. Cool, so you have this religious text. And then maybe he says, well, I don't have this book in my language. Am I still supposed to know this God? And you could say, well, yeah, because this same God is actually the, cre- the creator of the world. So in some ways you're beginning with like, okay, let me begin by talking about what we can see, this, this world that we live in, um, that God has created order. And, and think about how infinite God is. And if you look at the stars and how far away uh, the stars are and, and the sun and the moon, like the, our, the God who created all that is infinitely bigger than all of that. Which, which, so you could start with, um, and it's where, uh, to, to bring back Thomas Aquinas, did you remember me mentioning him a few minutes ago? Um, I mentioned Thomas Aquinas. And in his uh, systematic theology. So at the very beginning, uh, this is like a two-volume set of systematic theology by Thomas Aquinas. He begins in a very famous way by proving the existence of God. He says, "There's um, and I have a few. If you, I copied it, and if if you want to read it, it's 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 only one." two pages, but it's like so heady and thick. It would probably take you an hour to really like wrap your mind around what he is saying here. Um, But he basically says that there's five proofs for the existence of God. If you want one of these, I'll put them right here so you could come get them later. But he says um, there's five proofs for the existence of God. And because the universe is infinite, or it seems infinite, just because it's really big, um, there must be something bigger that created all that. Because there's motion, there must be something that is like an unmoved mover. And because there's causation, there's an uncaused causer. Um, He has five of these proofs for the existence of God. And that's where he begins his systematic theology, which in my head, I was just like, that's a really cool place to begin. So it's not like you're beginning with the Bible, because then it's like, well, how do you know that the Bible's true? It's not like you're beginning with uh, Jesus, because then it's like, well, who sent Jesus? We need to talk about God first. And before you talk about God, I think a really cool beginning place is to prove his existence and then move on from there. And, and that's kind of this, this idea of where we will begin. So we have one more Sunday of September where we'll talk about prolegomena. And that's where we'll begin kind of next week with like proving the existence of God. And then, and then this idea of like, it'll, it'll kind of flow. I have this, this lecture where we prove the existence of God. And then we go right into, okay, knowledge. We can know knowledge. That we can know that God exists. And if God exists, then we can take these next steps. And there, it seems as though they're baby steps. And it's like, this philosophical movement that, that isn't my own, but I've, I've kind of copied it and stole it from other people along the way. And hopefully we'll present it in a way that's, that's um, very systematic and will, will open us up for introductions for the next nine months. And so we'll begin, or we'll end, I guess, where we began today with reading Romans 1, uh, 19 through 20, which is, um, it says, because um, what, we, what can be known about God is made plain to them. 
And so it's, it's the, the knowledge of God. If you're, if you're in here and you're like, gosh, there's so much to know. There's so much to think about. Well, it is being made plain to us because God has made it plain to us, to them. Uh, verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. Um, just pause and think about that. So really, like God's eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen. Um, they, they understood through what has been made so that people are without excuse. And so we could say people in general, but also we, like we are without excuse to not think theologically and think about who God is from what he has given us to know about him. So it's with that that we'll close the Mill Sunday School a little early. Let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer. And God, we tell you that you are awesome and big and huge and, and, and mighty and, and infinite. And so God, we look at the world around us. We look at the knowledge that we have of you through other people and the Bible and, and just your creation. And we look at Pike's Peak and its beauty. We think about the things you have made. God, we, may, may we never worship what has been created, but may we also always worship you and turn our eyes and our thoughts to you as we, as we worship you and, and just consider the beauty of the things you've made. So God, we love you. We praise you. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. You're dismissed. Meet somebody new before you go over to big church. Invite them over to big church with you. We're ending a little early. So take your time leaving. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.